The first lesson is from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of my Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, always put into our hearts and minds how you have loved us in your Son. And knowing such love, apprehending such love, may we turn outwards by your Spirit's power to love others in like manner. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus' hour of glory grows darker as he and his disciples prepare for their last meal together. Now, Jesus had earlier reserved a venue for in the upstairs room for their Passover meal. And now while the disciples were busy preparing for logistics and the meal, Jesus was going to prepare. He was going to prepare his disciples for what they didn't know, what they didn't know would be the most traumatic moment of their faith, just a matter of, matter of hours. There was little time left. There was little time left. So Jesus intensifies his last teaching opportunity with them. He was about to demonstrate to them, the disciples, the disruptive and upending nature of God's love for them and also for the world. They didn't know that. But Jesus was about to do something so radical. It was going to be disruptive. Now, it was customary in, Eastern, in ancient Eastern cultures to have the feet of guests washed indoors before mealtime by a servant. The task was utterly demeaning that Jewish midrash, Jewish interpretations of Scripture, prescribed that it was beneath even the job description of a Jewish slave. Now, inside their rental venue, it's apparent that none of the, Jesus' disciples took the responsibility to wash anyone's feet, not even their own. One does not venture anyway to wash your own peer's feet. Now, there was no servant around to wash any feet, so none of the disciples was going to take the responsibility. They were not going to take that role for anyone. So there was this sort of nonverbal consensus. People were busy that tonight's festivities can go on with everyone's feet still unwashed. Maybe their feet weren't all that dirty anyways. It's okay. It wasn't really a big deal. But then it was going to be a big deal. It was going to be. Now turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 13. Now before we get into our gospel reading, we shouldn't, we shouldn't imagine this scene, this Passover meal, like how Leonardo da Vinci had painted that famous painting of his Last Supper. Now there was no standard table or chairs. See, the Jewish people reclined whenever they ate the Passover meal. See, to recline embodied their freedom, rest, relaxation. It symbolized their release, their freedom from slavery in Egypt. Each person would have a reclining mat laid out all around the table, and that table would be low enough, almost lower than a coffee table, where the food and drinks would be set out. On these fancier venues, there would be a higher platform with cushions and pillows and blankets, and servants would then be going around the platform to top up people's drinks, wipe off spills, take away plates, what have you. 
So Jesus and his disciples would have rented a more modest venue with no extra service. So they were on their own. So in our gospel reading, we read in verse 4. Now midway through the meal, Jesus stood up from where he was reclining. And then he walked over to the corner where the towels and basins have been provided in the venue. And then John described that Jesus laid aside his outer garments. Now, John had used the same verb, laid aside elsewhere in the gospel. He used the same verb in chapter 10. See, in that chapter, Jesus had taught the crowd about himself being the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. He said that the good shepherd has authority to lay aside his life for his sheep and authority to take it up again. The verb lay aside is again repeated here. Jesus laying aside his outer garment. John here is hinting to us that Jesus' action here will prefigure not only his self-abasement for the life of the world, but also his definitive exercise of his messianic authority. In other words, what Jesus here is about to do will show how the good shepherd will lay aside his own life for the life of his sheep. Now other commentators now refer to this moment of Jesus laying aside his outer garment as the double divestment of God. The double divestment of God. The Son of God had already laid aside his glory in the incarnation. Then here, the incarnate word, Jesus lays aside again his outer garment in order to take on another piece of clothing. He takes something off and then puts on something else. What did he do? He, Jesus takes one of the washcloths. Wrapped it tight around his waist, the word made flesh, dressing himself with the fabric of lowly and servile use. That towel would have already been so worn out and stained from all the use in the rental venue. Now the towel around the waist was the working attire of a slave who was on the clock, dressed for dirty labor, ready to do any chore. Jesus took on this icky role that none of his disciples dared to take. Dressed himself for the job, he went around the table like a servant to wash everyone's feet. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask or make any comment. I mean, by this time now, the disciples were so used to their rabbi doing very audacious things, saying audacious things. But Simon Peter wouldn't have it, as usual. Peter takes the lead and protests on behalf of everyone else what everyone was probably thinking. In verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter was shocked at what was considered very obscene that their own rabbi, their own rabbi, the honorable teacher, would stoop down at the feet of his own students. That was way too far for Peter. He was getting uncomfortable. Jesus responds, what I'm doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter resists. You shall never wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. At best, Peter was trying to be polite. He was trying to be considerate. That was a natural reaction, likely out of sheer embarrassment for himself, for, for Jesus, for everyone else in the room. He would most likely react the same way if, for the unlikely privilege that Queen Elizabeth II were to come over for dinner at your home. That right after dinner, 
She starts putting the dishes into the dishwasher, starts rinsing the plates in the kitchen, wiping the dinner table with the cloth. We would protest. We would. We would even resist and prevent her from going any further. We would not permit such a drastic breach of decorum. It's improper. It's obscene for someone like the Queen of England to carry on like this. We would think, not on my watch, not while she's a guest in my home. That was so for Peter. He considered his personal responsibility. It's his duty as chief disciple to preserve, to protect, to promote the honor of Jesus Christ. But then for Jesus to start behaving in this debased way, that was way out of line. That was way out of line for Peter. Not on my watch, Jesus. Not as long as you're the rabbi, the Messiah, the Son of God. He was going to play the hero. He was going to shield Jesus from further indignity. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus responds in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Or as the original language suggests, you cannot have a portion of me. You cannot have a slice of me. Now this wasn't Jesus threatening Peter so that he would then acquiesce. He was not forcing, forcing himself upon Peter. Jesus was speaking of a more serious and deeper spiritual reality that he was signifying by the obscenity of his service. Now, for most of Jesus' teaching ministry, he had taught in parables. That was, these were stories with characters and, and a lesson. So now here in his washing his disciples' feet, Jesus was teaching them in an enacted parable. It's an enacted parable. Himself being the main actor to prefigure the future of his utter degradation on the cross. The foot washing was an enacted parable to prepare his disciples for how abysmally low and debased their rabbi Messiah would be willing to go to dispense himself, to share a slice of himself, as it were, for their own life, for the life of the world. For a rabbi to dress up as a slave, then wash his students' feet, that was obscene enough. But what would it be for the Son of God to be nailed naked on a cross, left hanging there to slowly expire? If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. No one can partake of Jesus unless Jesus washes them. No one can participate in Jesus, have fellowship with Jesus unless Jesus washes that person. Of course, Jesus was not talking about the water in the wash basin. Jesus had just washed Judas' feet and still Judas went ahead and sold him out. You could be baptized in water as a baby or as an adult, but you could live your life in disregard and denial of Jesus Christ. His disciples didn't know it, but Jesus was talking about the washing that could only come from his death on the cross. The blood that Jesus will bleed from his wounds will be for the spiritual washing of anyone who puts their trust in what he suffered on the cross. Again, this was during Passover when the Jewish people celebrated how God had spared them and their children when they had lamb's blood splattered all over their doorposts. When God visited Egypt in judgment, he passed over all the homes with the markings of that lamb's blood. 
and all that the Jewish slaves at the time needed to do, all that they needed to do was trust what God said to them through Moses and then obey him. That's all that they needed to do. Just blood on the doorposts will do it. We've seen all the nine other plagues. We, we will trust and obey. All that someone who is bound now as a slave to sin needs to do is trust what Jesus has said, believe in what he did on the cross, and do what he said to follow him. That's all that we could ever do. That's the washing to trust, to believe, to obey, and follow Jesus Christ. That is the washing. There is no other washing besides the cross, no other cleansing besides Jesus' death. And as the English hymn writer Isaac Watts had written, no bleeding bird, no bleeding beast, no hyssop branch, no priest, no running brook, no flood, no sea could wash away this stain from me. Have you let Jesus wash you in this way? Have you believed in what he had said? Have you trusted in what he has done on the cross for you? Or do you yet resist him? Do you yet protest against him, insist that there's no need for any washing? I'm clean. There's no need for that. I'm fine. I'll handle on my own. Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Now when Jesus finished, Washing everyone's feet, he returned to his place at the table. He began to explain what he just did. And everyone was still shocked. In verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. So Jesus had set a bar. He set a bar. He has set the bar low. He has said it very low at the very bottom, at the very bottom, where your neighbor's feet touches the ground against the earth, where tears and sweat and blood should collect and flow, upon which the weary collapse and the oppressed are trampled, into which every one of us shall soon fall and become as dust. That's where we should set our sights on, on the dirt. If anyone among us should aim for the skies, Jesus commands us to set our sights low, look down at others' feet, at the bottom, around the margins. Be the first to dive headlong into the dregs of human need and misery. Lay aside ourselves to become the least that the least may be raised up. You can't lift anyone up unless you go beneath them. You can't raise anyone up unless you go under them. Now a new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now that phrase, love one another, is not new or original to Jesus. This is the summary of God's law. It's in Leviticus. But what's new here is the qualifier. That's what's new about this. It's the qualifier. Jesus qualified this command that the love we must now perform for the other should be no less, should be no less than the love that he had performed for us. 
And what is the love that Jesus performed for us? Love that laid aside his garments of divine glory and swaddled himself with the rags of mortal flesh of an oppressed and enslaved people. Love whose hands touched the leprous skin, the skin of a demon oppressed. Love whose clothes were divided and gambled over, whose skin flogged and furrowed, whose body bruised and beaten, whose blood was shed and congealed, whose corpse was laid aside in a borrowed tomb. Love one another as I have loved you. There is no limit to what Jesus requires of us. There is no limit. Because Jesus placed no limit to the disruptive kind of love he had shown for you, for me, for the rest of the world. With that, our love for one another and for our neighbor be as extravagantly disruptive, as obscenely lavish as this, that the world, that our neighbors, the person across the street, or across the floor may come to know Jesus Christ, that people may trust in Jesus to become his followers, and at the church that Christians would become famous and known for their love for people. Now, how are we even to perform a love so humanly impossible? Such a high standard. Who could attain to such a measure of virtue? Now, this would be my final point. John the Evangelist tells us what had been the interior impetus of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Go back in verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. This was the foundation to Jesus' act of service. Jesus apprehended, he apprehended the reality that God had given him everything as no human had ever possessed. Jesus understood that he was from the very heart of God and that he would be returning to the very same with mission successful and then carrying with him something new. He's heavier now to heaven. He's carrying with him an entire nation of redeemed people in his heart from all over the world. And as it was for Jesus Christ, so it is with us. If you call yourself Christian, this is the motivation. Even as we're limited, our source is limitless. Even as we're weak, Jesus Christ is strong. Even when we're faithless, the Holy Spirit is faithful. If we apprehend that we are promised in Jesus the inheritance of a recreated cosmos the immortality of our bodies, the forgiveness of sins, eternal union with God, then what of our possessions? What of our money? What of our income to give away for others? What of our time and emotions but to spend that with those who would need them? What of our skin and our bodies but to lay them down for the sake of others? For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. A new command I give, that you love one another just as I've loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray.
Father, may the same Spirit who animated Jesus Christ in his ministry of love when he was on earth empower us to perform the same. That which you require from us, that which is good and pleasing in your sight for the good of others, for the benefit of those who need them. May our love for one another and for the world be clear, be measured, be measurable to all people. That many would come to know your love for them in Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.